Hello everyone, welcome back to the Pajama Interviews. I'm your host, Michelle Irving, and this podcast is all about transforming our conversations and actually our experience of chronic illness. Our guest is Sarah Ramy, and it's so exciting to talk to her because she has an incredibly powerful way of navigating what she and I both think of as the underworld of chronic illness. So let's dive in with Sarah. Hi, Sarah. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm thrilled that we are going to have a discussion together. And I want to let everybody know about you. So Sarah's a writer and musician. And as a musician, her work is known as Wolf Larson. She has a very deep story around chronic illness and she has shared that with us in her book, The Lady's Handbook for Her Mysterious Illnesses. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. This is my first interview in a in my nightgown. <laughs> I, I love that we're starting this way. It really brings me a lot of joy. <laughs> yeah, for me, like I've got PJs and um, the whole point of that is that these are called the pajama interviews because let's face it, that's what we spend yes. a lot of our time in. Absolutely. I often, you know, and I mean, I showered and I have a little bit of makeup on, so I'm not my, you know, just rolled out of bed self, but I often when I will do a Zoom call even with book clubs or whatever you know because I, I you know want to appear presentable or professional or something but it, it it betrays what it is actually like 99.999 percent of the time and everybody's like why wow, you look great and I'm like well <laughs> it's uh you know this is for you guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> and uh which is I guess true of anybody when we see other people but it's just when you're sick that's like 90% of your time is just being in your PJs. So I, I really appreciate the, the chance to be a little more authentic to myself. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely what I wanted. I wanted us to be real and raw. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you would like to share with us what your conditions and experience are so we can dive into the conversation together. Sure. So... Um, uh, the first thing is that, you know, it took me a very, very long time to get uh, my many diagnoses. I, I'm, I'm somebody that in this family of illnesses that I have, it's really common to have many diagnoses, I think, because they're poorly understood. And and But it, even for each of those, I mean, it took over a decade to, to be diagnosed with any of those things. And so... Um, that's just as a, as a bit of a preface. So the, the first uh, diagnosis that I have is ME-CFS or chronic fatigue syndrome, as most yeah. people know it, which is um, for, I'm sure a lot of your listeners either have this or, or know about it, but, you know, it's a very debilitating illness in terms of fatigue, muscle pain, um, just complete debilitation ranging from you know, you're still able to work all the way to being, you know, needing a feeding tube and being completely, completely um, bedridden and 
uh, dependent on others. And, and I've been all over that spectrum of severity. I, you know, had a job. I, I worked in politics, of all things, a long time for a while. And I can't even, right now, that just seems like a, a lifetime ago that I would be able to, to work outside of my, my home. But where I am now is much, much better then I've also been to the extreme severe end yeah. of the spe spectrum as well. And so right now I feel like I'm this triumph of <laughs> like, I've really come a long way, but, yeah. but nowhere near even the less severe parts of my own illness anyway. So that's kind of what MECFS is like. There's, there's an incredible elasticity to it in terms of the uh, severity. So that's one of the things. And then the, the other main uh, diagnosis I have is CRPS, which is um, extremely painful uh, pain syndrome. And in my case, it's in the vagina, in the bladder, in the abdomen, the pelvis, down the left leg, in the spine. It's the way I would describe it to anybody that does not have this. It, it's it's hard to understand how painful it is. It, it feels like you've peeled back a layer of skin and rubbed in lemon juice into that layer. So it is like really bad. <laughs> Yeah. And that's and it's just constant and it's you know in my case it's in my vagina so it's yeah. it's bad but of course it's invisible and you know you can't yeah. tell and everybody's like no don't, you don't you look great <laughs> you look yeah you look great you don't look like your vagina's you know yeah. cut open with lemons in it you know? <laughs> so it's that's a very that's a very common not to that degree but that's as you know, and as I'm sure most people listening know, that's incredibly common is that you can have these really severe problems, but because you look fine, nobody can yeah. understand that. And and if you don't have a diagnosis that's either uh, familiar to people or that is taken seriously, a lot of these illnesses are stigmatized. So yeah. it's, uh, or, or they're just not, not known to people. Um, it's very difficult to say I have X and they have the appropriate response of like, oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry to hear that, which is yeah. the appropriate response. Yeah. But I don't think I've ever had anyone yeah. <laughs> say that unless they are have the same problems yeah. or are in this community. And so for me, those are the two main things. I also have, you know, POTS, postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome and um, mast cell activation syndrome. These are all sort of, they travel in the same comorbid family in the in the chronic fatigue world. And so I've, I've got a lot of like a side diagnosis, yeah. but those are MECFS and CRPS are really the main ones. And then I also have an, an ileostomy, which is like um, a colostomy bag, but yeah. uh, in your small intestine instead of the large, large intestine, another yeah. invisible. Yeah. <laughs> but like very real thing. That was the doctor I just got off the phone with was my surgeon. <laughs> yeah. So so those those are the mix of things that we're dealing with on this end here. And in all of that, does that mean you've spent a lot of time in doctor's offices and you've oh. tried a whole lot of different treatments and do some work <laughs> and just that sort of sense oh, of yes. what is this like for you? Right. So, yes. So this started for me seven, 18 years ago now, and I have seen over 150 just regular doctors, a million alternative everythings, yeah. <laughs> as I'm sure you know. And um, I've tried, I'm one of those people that, uh, you know, as a function of, I think, 
tenacity and privilege, like sort of the intersection of those two things has like tried everything. My parents are doctors. Uh, so I had really excellent access to right. medicine and to really excellent doctors, but that didn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> it, it just, it, that's part of what the book is about is that when you, this, this area of medicine, the mystery illnesses, MECFS, fibromyalgia, a lot of autoimmune diseases, this, this family that, that run together, it's just like a black hole in medicine that you fall into if you happen to be sick with those problems that you just almost can't get even palliative treatment um, or it takes a really, really long time to get there. And that, that's what happened with, with me is it took, I mean, over a decade to even get like to the first nice doctor who who was even taking me seriously and trying to help me even put together just like a self-care plan instead yeah. of just sending me away with like I think that this is nonsense and you're not sick at all that's what most of my doctors said in the in the beginning beginning meaning does, first 10 years <laughs> how does that work for pain like and pain relief for you like did you have access to pain medication so what Sort of yes and no. So I was prescribed quite a few pain medications. I, this is also pretty common, had a lot of reactions, like they're called paradoxical reactions. And so I would take XYZ muscle relaxant or pain medication and it would make my muscle aching much, much, much worse. Or it would make me, I have really severe, my constipation is so severe that I ended up with this ileostomy. Mm. But it, so in my case, if you gave me an opioid and it, that would like, cause like impaction in the colon like I would have to go to the hospital to have it like de-impacted so so I had a lot of trouble with pain medications but instead of doctors saying oh gosh what a terrible thorny situation let's try to help you through it it was like because I was having so many problems it was like oh it was like an annoyance to them that I was so sensitive and that I was I was this like a spanner in the works, you know, and was messing things up instead of just responding appropriately to medication. And so for a long time, I just didn't take any medication whatsoever because a lot of it had made me a lot worse. And, and also because I kind of got, I defected from regular medicine. This is pretty common. <laughs> and I was like, man, this is not working for me. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go on the healing journey and I'm gonna do all of these things, which there's a lot of good stuff in alternative health. Um, there's a lot of, I, not great. It's not for everyone. Not all of it is for everyone, we'll say. Um, so I did that, but but during that time, I also didn't take any medications whatsoever. And that, that also was not right. Like now I am taking more medications that at least help buffer some of the worst, some of the worst, just take a little bit of the edge off, which like, you know, that's important. So, so yeah, access to any kind of treatment has been extremely difficult to, to come by. And, you know, in, in my case, like that's what was to me was so, it seemed, this is why I started writing a book was like, if I, a daughter of two physicians who has the access to all the best medical care in the world, can't get any medical help. And I am for sure sick. Like I'm not making this up like 
something is really wrong and in the system and that needs to be explored. And that's why I ended up working on that project because it just seemed like this can't possibly be, uh, this is not just a function of like, well, you know, not everybody gets great care in the system. Like this is like, this is like no one who has this, this, uh, that type of illness is getting treatment whatsoever. Yeah. So one of the things about that is, and I've certainly had my own experience. I've had doctors look at me with my autoimmune condition and say to me, okay, well, you can't take those drugs. So I think we've reached the limit of medicine with you. And it's kind of like, Mm. And fortunately, oh. I didn't take that as real. I went and got mm-hmm. the third opinion and got somebody that could help me. And I think one of the conversations that we have when we're having this journey, and I'd like to explore a little with you, is this notion of compliance as a patient of people and then all the things we want to explore because Western medicine isn't working perfectly at all for us. And we go off looking at alternative treatments, some of which work, some of which are not, but it's such a messy area to navigate individually. I think part of that's because we don't want to upset our doctors Mm -hmm. about we still want to be the good patient because we still want their help at some point if this Mm -hmm. doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And that's a really big emotional experience. Yes. And I'm wondering if you might share with us, you know, what you've learned from that and how you found your own sovereignty to navigate this. Yeah, so that word sovereignty is so important because it is not, (laughs) I feel like that is not front of mind in the beginning of kind of the descent into this world like you're so used to being taken care of by the system like it's just set up to take care of you you're in this vulnerable position and it's there to help you and you're not meant to be like self-navigating like it's it is set up for most illnesses to be like I mean, I I don't want to paint with a broad brush, but for the most part, you know, there's like treatment plans and here's what, here's what we're going to do to help you. And here's, you can get a second opinion, but here are the basic contours of of the path that you're going to be on. But with a lot of these other problems, that's just, that does not exist. There's no path through the woods. There's very little. And so you end up, like I said before, defecting into alternative health, which can yield some good results, sometimes amazing results for people, which is excellent. But um, if you go back to your regular physician um, with those results, or even just tell them that you're trying those things, it can, um, it can damage your relationship with them because they are very skeptical of those things. I feel like this has changed in the last maybe five years. Five years, I think. Yes, I think that that's, I've just noticed that like wellness in general has really mainstreamed into our lives. And that's good. Like, that's really important because to me, it's like completely bonkers that wellness is not part of medicine and not part of our lives. Like, it's, I mean, it's, it's so, it's fundamental just to, even if you're not sick, though, taking care of yourself, eating a good diet, sleeping enough, moving, you know, 
of course, I think those things get kind of abused by like the weight loss industry, but, and so we then get really antagonistic towards them because we've been sort of taken advantage of with those things. But the fundamentals of those things are really important. I think are really important to just some basic ways to take care of yourself, um, uh, to at least, to at least be told that, that, that those are worthwhile things to to really make sure you're getting enough sleep and to really to at least work with your diet to see like if you make some changes would you feel better like you should feel um as you said like sovereign in making those decisions not like you're a you know wacko trying some crazy diet like like uh, these things are all so delicate because it is also true that sometimes people use these diets for you know because they do want to lose weight and like and they're like I'm doing it for my health and it's so you don't want to do that but at the same time a lot of these diets are really helpful for people and it's just important to know that that you are allowed to to explore especially if you've reached the end of the road with with what your doctors are offering you that like it's not crazy and it is not um being a a bad patient or a bad girl to try things outside of regular medicine that that it's that's the same thing to do if the if the medical field is not offering you any type of care or palliative care then of course you're going to seek out other types of treatment and that and that you should feel good about that especially if it's helping you to not feel ashamed about that and to I've really over the years had to learn kind of like what to include with my doctors and what to sort of not include like I don't tell them about every last thing that I've tried but if something is really helping me I do now make sure that I'm telling them like you need to know that this works for me. It may not work for everybody, but it really does work for me. And I have tried doing it and not doing it and doing it absolutely makes a difference. And because I think they need to hear that um, because it I know that it affects the way they take care of patients in the future because I've had doctors say to me, well, you know, you might try, you know, X, Y, Z. I have one patient that it helped and blah, blah, blah. And I, I'm going to recommend it as a doctor. But but they do that all the time. And that's good. And that's important that you're giving them that feedback because it will help them at least have a better toolbox for their more difficult, and I don't mean emotionally difficult, just not difficult, more difficult to understand patients like, like me or, or like you. Yeah. yeah, I think for me, the way I had this conversation, and I think it's really useful to be specific at times for people as well, is I looked at my clinician, I said, I've given you five years with me in this treatment. It isn't working for me. If I take the mm -hmm. treatment, I sleep 18 out of 24 hours a day. That's yes. what happens. <laughs> but I've given you five years, and I'm taking one year to explore alternative treatment um yes. and he wasn't happy about it but he said I get it and I'm going as long as you're monitored as long as we still continue to do blood tests and that yeah. and what I did in that process was like you I had um a clinician who was actually a general practitioner um for me and she happens to be um Australian educated but she is also part of her own Vietnamese community so mm. she was able to recommend to me go see this Chinese medicine doctor 
um, the one, this is yeah. the one. Yes. And I, so I had that sort of other clinical support and then I gave that a go and it made some improvement. And I want to be super clear with people about why I think it's important to tell your clinician because my condition is a liver condition. So mm. taking herbs and supplements and things is dicey in terms of yes. it potentially changing the experience. Mm -hmm. But I was clear with him that I was going to do it, wasn't happy but monitored it. And yeah. I think that that's some of what you're saying is that you've been able to have conversations because sooner or later you have to turn up for yourself at the mm -hmm. doctors, not for them. Yes, that's exactly right. And, and it's interesting, that's also true with alternative medicine is that Correct. sometimes you'll go down the road with somebody for a long time and they want you to keep going. But yeah. it is it is a very important conversation to have with yourself and then with them after six months, a year, however long, yep. you know, they should give you a timeline in the beginning yes. of how long they think it will take. And it's taking way longer than that. I guarantee they are going to say, well, just don't. <laughs> Yes. You just need to give it a little more time, but you do need to just for your, your wallet's sake, for your peace yeah. of mind, be able to say, you know, I really wanted this to work, but it, it hasn't. And I'd like to explore other things with you or I'm going to, yes. you know, go my our, our separate ways. And that's important because a lot of times in my experience, because my alternative medicine practitioners have provided me so much emotional support because they yes. believed me and they were yes. there for me in a way that my doctors were not. It was very difficult to like break up with them. Yes. <laughs> and like it felt like a real relationship ending and I didn't want to disappoint them. And uh, But it's very important to be able yes. to say, you know, I this is not working. I can't spend all of my, my money doing this. And, and that that's, that is okay. They're okay. You're okay. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just, again, with the sovereignty, like learning to be able to, to say that to a doctor in a way that is not, you know, you're not saying it like once you've like, you know, reached your very last nerve and you're blowing up at them, you know, that you're, Correct. you're, you're fully, you know, just in your own power and you just come in and have a conversation with them and can be friendly about it. I think that's really important. Yeah. And I think also, you know, there's times when I had this same clinician where I said I'd take a year, he said a little way into that, well, there might be a part or a time where we have to part ways if you won't take my treatment. And I want to be super honest about this. I did not take that seriously because mm. it was something that if I had would be frightening and I thought I get his position, um, but we've got plenty of time in this relationship. Mm. And so there is this very human element to your journey that you are in relationship with a whole lot of other people. Yep. And there's vulnerability about that. Um, and the more you can stand in yourself and get what I think of as some really serious badass boundaries, mm -hmm. the more people will actually respond to you in respect to that boundary. That is absolutely correct that we think, especially if you've got like the curse of the good girl, you think that like bending to accommodate everybody else is like what is going to make them like you. This is not true. Yes. <laughs> that being very clear about what your boundaries are, what you can do, what you're not going to do, that is 
really does garner respect, a lot more respect than like trying to be nice and likable all the time. And that took me such a long time (laughs) to figure out for myself. I like had to break the curse of the good girl. (laughs) Like just because to me, it felt like a violence to like set a boundary with somebody else, which is not true for a lot of people. They don't feel that way. They're just like, what, what do you mean a violence? <laughs> like you just told them that you don't want to take that medication. It's your life. It's you're allowed to do that. And I'm like, right, <laughs> you're right. But in my mind, it doesn't feel that way. There's a whole reconditioning that has to happen in terms of like learning to speak up for yourself and set boundaries, as you said, badass boundaries. That's a, if you identify as like a sensitive person or yeah. like a really sensitive person, highly sensitive uh, somebody that has boundary issues or just somebody that's like really nice. <laughs> I think that that's something to really take into consideration that some of the work that you might need to do on yourself, other people need to work on being nicer, right? But you Correct. need to work on setting better boundaries with people so that you can have better relationships with them. And this for me is actually what I think of as one of the powers that illness gives you. To me, it's a portal mm-hmm. into your sovereignty. It's a portal totally. into your boundaries because you have to get them on board. And, you know, one experience I had with that is there was a time, you know, where I tried the Chinese medicine. It worked a little but not a lot. And there was a, a biopsy and the physician that I had said, you do not leave the hospital today without treatment. You will be in organ failure within six months if we don't mm-hmm. get it now. Mm-hmm. Um And I looked at him and said, okay, but that drug makes me think about, I'm being super clear with you, slitting my wrists, not as emotionally, but when I take that drug, those Mm. are the thoughts that come up because there's a psychological process. So I will not take that drug without a psych consult. Mm -hmm. And in a public hospital, he had a psychiatrist to me in 45 minutes. Wow. (laughs) And so I want to share with people that actually setting this boundary about you creates a different response in your physicians. And even though it's uncomfortable for you and them, you will be very clear and back your boundary and you can hear how clear I was and it it will work for you. And if it doesn't work with them, you find somebody that it works with. Yes, and it's much better to do that instead of accommodating to them and then ending up in a much worse place for for yourself. It's much better to have the uncomfortable conversation. And, you know, sometimes, as you said, sometimes that doesn't work and, like, you know, they they don't respond well to that. That is okay. You can find another doctor and you should instead of going along with somebody that's forcing you to contort at every juncture to do things that make you feel that make you feel suicidal I mean that is I've had the same experience where I was put on a drug that made me suicidal and this was very early on so I was really young and I had no idea that that was a risk and 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 that that wasn't like me (laughs) I didn't know (laughs) and so it took my boyfriend at the time he was like I'm taking this antidepressant away away from you you cannot take this anymore you can call your doctor and talk about like tapering off of it but I'm taking it away from you because you are not yourself and this is terrible and I was so mad (laughs) but I was so grateful to him like once 
that started and I did call my doctor and he was like, well, <laughs> that is a problem. And with yes. this medication, I was like, why didn't you tell me that? Yes. And he was like, you're, you're right. We are going to start tapering you off of it. And, you know, and then, and then as soon as I was off of it, gone, all those thoughts gone. And it was like, wow, <laughs> yeah. that's incredible. There again, things are getting better. People are much better about that these days in terms of warning you ahead of time, making sure that they're monitoring that but at the same time as you said it's so important if that to know that that is a risk or or any other type of risk like you shouldn't be sleeping 20 hours a day 22 hours a day like that's something you absolutely get to speak up and say this is not a life we have to uh, we need to think about something else like uh, there are things like that to just know that you're well within your rights to speak up for yourself and to ask for different or better treatment or to re- rethink things because that doctor would not accept that, that treatment exactly. for themselves, right? And so you just have to put them in your shoes and be like, would would my doc- would doctor so-and-so accept suicidal ideation and sleeping 22 hours a day? No. no. <laughs> so yeah. I'm going to have a conversation (laughs) and one of the parts of this journey that um, comes up when you're exploring medicine and thinking about looking at some alternative there's two parts to this for me I think in a common experience one is the response of like "Ooh, I don't think you should go away from your doctors or like that sort of thing from family friends colleagues and the second thing is the people who mean well but say to you but if you tried meditation or maybe <laughs> if you just um you know I always use the example of journal yeah, yeah or just yeah. drink more green juice that's my example yes. yeah I use that too <laughs> and I want to just be clear with you actually I had a deep meditation practice and I don't actually meditation was powerful for me because it enabled me to have the awareness of the suicidal thought as separate mm. from me mm-hmm. And meditation is good at helping me manage experiences, but it certainly hasn't cured some of my conditions. Mm -hmm. So I'm wondering if you might share with us from your experience both what's happened and how you've navigated that because you talk about getting people on board as your allies, which is amazing. Yeah, so that was, this I, This is my real achievement in 17 years, was going from feeling so at odds with, uh, especially my parents, but, you know, friends, family, just the whole everyone, you know, and I think this is everyone, not everyone, but if you have these types of illnesses, this is the norm, is people, yes. they don't believe you, they... <laughs> they either right think you should um as you said that that you should just follow your doctor's orders even though your doctors are like no, i don't think you're sick <laughs> uh in, in my in my case um or they're they themselves are into alternative health and they say like have you tried you know gratitude journals and uh, kale juice and there's so for me the experience getting people to be allies again this does come back to boundaries it is entirely about boundaries essentially and so especially for me the big transformation was with my parents my parents they're such traditional doctors and they 
especially my dad, I write about this a lot in the book, but especially my dad, he was like the quintessential, like poo-pooing doctor that like doesn't believe in any of this alternative nonsense and was the first person to be like, hey, maybe you are depressed. Maybe that's what's wrong with you. And, you know, no shame in that. Like, we'll just put you on some antidepressants. And yeah, this is, and he was not trying to, he, he was not, we were not like intentionally at odds with each other. He just... That he didn't know what was wrong with me, and he just and that's what a lot of his colleagues were saying was wrong with me was that I was depressed and um so especially when I defected into alternative medicine, there was this huge rift opened up between me and my dad, especially where it was just it was just heartbreaking for him that I was like you know wasting all this time and money trying all of these things that he thought were stupid, but that was the first time that I started to get better was when I started acupuncture was really helpful for me. And, um, at the time yoga was really helpful for me. That was sort of before things kind of fell off a cliff with me, but that has nothing to do with yoga at the time. Yoga was really helpful for me. And so in terms of like converting adversaries into allies, this didn't come until, I was like way, way into the journey. And I was so heartbroken with this feeling that my parents still weren't on my side. And so I just realized that what was happening was that I would tell them I'm trying this or whatever, and they would roll their eyes and I would feel really hurt. And that would kind of be the end of it. And that would just keep happening over and over and over and over again. And I just realized that it was not going to change. They were not going to come around that I really needed to like reach out and like grab them by the lapels and bring them close into me and be really explicit about that. (laughs) When I say I'm trying whatever acupuncture and you clearly think that that's dumb, (laughs) that, that hurts me like in the deepest, profoundest way, because you are one of the only people left in my life that is like an actual like close relationship of mine and I need you I need you to be on team Sarah and it doesn't feel like you are anymore so the first time that I had that conversation he was kind of hurt by that yes. and I didn't want that's part of why I hadn't done that in the first place because I didn't want to hurt him and he but I I just realized I was like okay but it did change his behavior Correct. a bit <laughs> and so I was like Okay. I, and actually in the beginning, I just left it at that. I was like, well, I've made a dent and that's all I can do. But I realized, I was like, that's not true. What if I just keep having these conversations, these really brutal, difficult conversations with my dad and my mom, explaining why what they were saying was so hurtful to me and why it felt that way and why I didn't want to tell them because I didn't want to hurt them. But that my ultimate goal was the same goal as theirs was that we wanted to have a good relationship. I was like, the only way that we're going to get there is if you're in my corner and you're not in my corner right now. Like you're, you don't believe in these things. And like, so what, what can I do to help you come around and what can you do (laughs) to just come around? (laughs) And we just had these conversations over and over and over again, which, uh, uh, earlier iteration of myself would have been terrified to do but this later version of myself was like that's the only way that this is going to change and it's already painful so why not just 
experiment with having these really painful conversations if they're actually moving the needle and just keep pushing and keep pushing. And in the end, it worked. Like if I just take my dad as an example, my dad, I would normally talk to him before this once every three months or something. And it would be like a fraught conversation that was painful and I would end up crying afterwards. My dad calls me every day now. Wow. Yeah. And he's, and he, we just trained my dad. He's like, well, what's new today? And I'm like, well, dad, as you know, nothing is new because I live at home and every day is exactly the same. And he's like, I know, I understand that. He's like, well, why don't you tell me about your pain? He's like, tell me about your pain. I want to listen. And I just tell him about my, it's like this miracle where he's like, oh, that sounds terrible because he learned that it doesn't work for him to be in pain because I'm in pain. Like that doesn't make me feel any better. It works for him to say, that sucks. <laughs> that's terrible. I'm so sorry to hear that that's happening. And that he has an infinite reserve. He, it's no skin off his nose to just say that once a week yeah. to say, I'm so sorry that this is still yeah. happening instead of being disappointed. Like, oh, you're still sick. <laughs> yeah. You know, the, better. Seriously. Just get better? Yeah. I've done Why everything. are you still sick? Yeah, exactly. I, I was empathetic last week and you're still sick, you know? So we, and it's, but it did take being really, really clear about that of like, I need you to ask me how I'm doing, knowing that the answer is going to be bad and that you're just going to have to listen to me briefly, not a long conversation, briefly say, it sucks. I'm in a lot of pain. It was a really hard day. And you're going to say, that's terrible. I'm so sorry. My poor daughter. <laughs> the end. And it's like been this incredible. I mean, my dad should write a little book about this <laughs> because it really, I would not, if you'd asked me if that was possible 10 years ago, I would have said a hundred percent. No, like impossible. My dad does not have the capacity to do that. He doesn't have the emotional ability to do that. No way. And that was not true. Yes. <laughs> he just needed to be kind of pushed. He needed me to be kind of relentless. Sorry, my cat just jumped up. <laughs> um, and and it, and it worked. And I, I wouldn't say that that is like definitely possible for everyone, but I do think it's an important example because I really was the type of person that would listen to this conversation and be like, yeah, but not my dad. Yeah, no, that doesn't <laughs> and, work. Mm-hmm. Um, it did. So. Yeah, I think for me, this is so interesting because I have two parents who have mental illness. So mm. actually when I got sick, um, my father would say, oh, well, you'll have to work that out on your own or um, mm. I, I can't help you. Um, or this is all too much for me. And so that those conversations were devastating. And I also yes. had a lot of other people, um, particularly a, a man who I had worked for when I was a graduate who really stood with me through the emotional experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I want to share with people about that and the reason why I think talking about these things is important and it's really important if family and friends have the opportunity to hear these sort of conversations or podcasts or wherever the information is, is that as I became a guest on more and more podcasts, really talking about the experience and the emotional journey and the depth 
and what I had learned worked, Mm -hmm. my parents and my brother started to listen to the podcasts. Yes, yes, that's such a good point because that actually is part of what brought my parents along too is me working on this book and like them kind of... it's, it's something about like you sharing outside of a context of just the conversation between the two of you that like takes some of the emotional pressure out of it and they can actually hear it yes. better. And, yes. or, or instead of it feeling like an accusation or emotionally fraud or something like that. And so, so I think that that's such a good piece of advice is to share in a way that other people may be able to read what you're saying without it being directed directly towards them because even though I did do that with my family and it really helped me I think that that like what you're saying is is such a uh, a good piece of advice as well especially if that's too difficult or it's not working Um, and I was also going to say that if that's totally impossible with with your family which it definitely may be with some people to just choose you're uh, somebody else, anybody else that can perform these functions for you and that you're doing that for them, of course, as as well. It's not just one way because we have to, this is true for anybody, illness or not. Like if your family is not there for you, you have to find your chosen family. And that illness is, is, it's so funny to me, people, when, Whenever people say to me, like, well, you just got to focus on the positive and the bright side, those people, when I, and then that makes me feel ashamed that I've talked about my illness or being in pain or whatever, but then I, like, spend some time with them, and I'm like, wait, wait, but you're just kvetching about your daily life all the time. You're complaining constantly. It's just that they're not, like, serious things, and so nobody thinks of it as, like, you know, heavy or, or you're, you're being a downer. And so there, and I'm like, no, no, you get to kvetch about your illness. There's no like, oh, well, that's the one thing that everyone's allowed to complain about their day, but not you. It's like, no, no, no. You got to train people to just let you kvetch about your stuff as if it's being stuck in traffic or as if it was your bad boss or whatever it is. It's like kvetching <laughs> is an important part of being a human being. You have to be able to kind of get get it out. You don't want to linger there too much. But it's not true that other people are like who are not sick are like constantly not. positive or yes, they're like not. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think this is such a great point. And in terms of those people that help For me, it's, again, the direct communication that we've talked about. Look, direct communication is your own tool and ally. And, yes, it's messy and you're not going to get it right the first time. And there's certainly ways in which I think you can have that conversation. And and I've actually got some tools for women where I say Mm. a list of the things that you can say. Oh, that's Um, great. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. So I'll I'll make sure that's in the show notes for everybody Mm -hmm. as well. But one of the things I found in that process is people need to know that you are not asking them to do something for you. Like you're not sharing the problem for it to be fixed and it's hard to be with me um, in those places because if I've got vertigo 24-7 and I'm throwing up while lying in bed, like the the world isn't falling, but that's the extremeness of the pain, Mm. um, you know, my beloved partner actually can't do anything. But what I said to him is what helps is when you hold my hand. Yes. 
because mm-hmm. actually I can't have a conversation with you because I feel like I am falling, like 24-7. Mm-hmm. But if you hold my hand, that is so helpful and so meaningful. Yes. Yes. And so I think we have to, in these circumstances with compassion, understand that people want to help mm-hmm. and they feel helpless and give them something that does help that yes. they can and, do. Yes, and that it takes I think yourself being vulnerable, like, because sometimes asking for those things is like, I can't ask somebody to do that. But it's like, for them, they're so glad to be able to do anything. They are grateful that you've said, oh, you can do this small thing that would help me. You know, holding somebody's hand is no big deal. But to some of us, like, might feel silly or like, wouldn't feel silly to me, but like, whatever, different people have different, like, hang-ups about different things and it's just important I think to remember that people as you just said people really do want to help you a lot of people do and that it's worth thinking through even the smallest things that like you would like that that would be like a gift to you and to be willing to to ask people for those things I've done a lot of that like something that comes to mind is when I was coming out of the worst, I was in just the worst, bedridden, my mom feeding me broth, like as a way to survive for two years. And when I was coming out of that, I was so really, really, really sick, but was like starting to have little spurts of like being able to like leave the house and like do, but I couldn't really like, it wasn't enough to like go do something. (laughs) And so I would... I just talked to a few of my friends and I was like, could I like come meet you at the concert that you're at for like five minutes? Yes. (laughs) Meet me and like treat me like this is this big deal and we're having fun. And then it's not a big deal that I have to go right away. (laughs) Yes. And like, you're not going to ask like, oh, what's wrong? Oh, no, no. What happened? You know, like that you understand that this is the whole thing that you're going to do for me is to make this like five to 10 minute outing, like really fun. And they're like, yeah, (laughs) that sounds super weird and fun. (laughs) And, and we did that. Or like another friend would like come by and pick me up with like the seat already reclined and she would just drive me around Tucson in a, in a circle until I was like, I got to go home. And, uh, and with no other agenda than that, she was like, I figured it'd be nice to get out of the house. And I was like, Oh, bless you. Like My whole body just sighed at the idea of somebody turning up already attuned to your experience. Like, I don't have to navigate that. I don't have to negotiate. I don't have to stand here on the sidewalk while she gets out of the car and does Mm -hmm. that. Oh, Mm -hmm. my God, we just saved so much of my capacity. Totally, exactly. And to so to just, but that did take me like reaching across that divide and being like, okay, but I, you're not, because they wouldn't know that, <laughs> that like I needed those types of things. Like, so I had to say, okay, here's where I'm at. Really like one bar of energy, but like, what can we do? What can you guys help me think of to do here? Or here are some ideas that I have. And they were so glad to do that because they are human beings and people yeah. want to help each other. Not everybody, you know, but yeah. I feel like one thing that illness does give you is like a real 
sense of like who your real friends are. Totally. (laughs) And And humanity and the fragility of it. Mm-hmm. And I want to um, really start to ask you then, you know, you've had all of these experiences and then you have the most astonishing music, like just beautiful music that you create. Like how how is this happening, Sarah? Um, and, and the notion of a, a name Wolf Larson for it as well. Can you share with us a bit about this aspect of you? Yeah, well, thank you. That was super nice. I So... I have always been, uh, I guess, a singer. Like I, I was always like in in uh, musicals, things like that. But then, when I got sick, um, I was housebound all the time and was just, and especially in the beginning, like it was like this horror of kind of being trapped all the time, and I didn't. I, I was like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do with myself? What am I going to do with my life? I'm wasting my life. And it was just this real, <laughs> it was really scary as anybody knows yeah. when they're sort of like, when they're past the point of like, oh, I might not get better. <laughs> like, like, cause in the beginning you're like, well, I'll just get better. But then there comes a point where you're like, wait, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I might not yeah. get better. Oh, no. And so that had happened to me. I had moved at that point to San Francisco to see an acupuncturist, actually. That was part of why I moved out there. And um, not the whole reason. Um, uh, But I had barely any energy. But I had my mom's guitar. I did not know how to play the guitar. um, But she had sent me with her guitar because I always thought that one day I would learn. And I just as like a way to kind of fill up my days with something better than just pain and, and illness I started to teach myself um uh, do you know who Leonard Cohen is um yes. the songs of Leonard Cohen there Leonard Cohen is this incredible artist but uh his songs are not difficult it's like all song all chords you can play <laughs> right away they're they're yeah. pretty easy to learn how to play and so I taught myself sort of like Leonard Cohen's like entire repertoire and then as I was going along, I was also kind of getting better physically. I was seeing this acupuncturist, as I mentioned. And um, and so a friend of mine was like, I think you should go down to this open mic in San Francisco. It's this really popular open mic. I think you should go down there. And I was like, oh, I can't. I'm sick. I can't. And he was like, well, you just, you know, kind of like we were just talking about. And he's like, you just go for a little while. It'll be, you'll be fine. And so I, I took my guitar down there and I uh, put my name. There was like so many people there. It was like hundreds of people. And I was like, oh no, (laughs) this is terrible. I've made a mistake. But I still, I signed up. I put my name in as Wolf Larson, which is my grandfather's name. And I had always thought that if I took a stage name, which was like, to me, like 50 steps forward and like, cause that, that would mean like I had taught myself to play music and was writing music. But in my imagination, in my dreams, I was like, I'm going to be a musician one day. And if I did, I would call myself Wolf Larson. And so I was at this open mic and it's like, hey, I think that time has come. <laughs> and so I just wrote my name down as Wolf Larson and I got picked not everybody gets picked because there's so many people come so I got picked and uh and he was like Wolf Larson he's like who's that and I was like I raised my hand he's like is your real name Wolf Larson and I was like yes yes <laughs> <laughs> yes it is today it is <laughs> and and I went up and I played this Leonard Cohen song and it was just so like 
liberating for me to do something with myself that felt like I was using a gift that I had instead of just like rotting away at home. And like, I left right afterwards. I didn't stay all night. Like I left, but I started going to that open mic pretty regularly and I would just go for, for a while. Um, and as I was getting, I, that was at the point in my life where I actually got better, like not all the way better, but yeah, I was able to, to do more stuff. And so that was the time when I was also like becoming Wolf Larson and like told everybody that my name was Wolf Larson. And I started to write music and it was this incredible time for me. Cause it was like, I felt like I was really coming alive in like a multitude of ways. Like my, my, I was physically getting better, but I was also like artistically becoming this person that I had always wanted to be. And yeah. I don't think believed that I was ever going to make down, but it yeah. was happening and it was really a, a very special time and also made quite a few friends at that at that open mic and so just like a lot of pieces that I actually do think they're again like meditation they're not like the cures to illness but they are important components to wellness is like a community yeah. doing something that like does feed your soul like these things they really matter I do think that they amplify whatever health you have going on they at least boost the signal a little bit maybe not like their cures but there it's some and I, I'm somebody that's like I'll take I'll yeah. take one more bar of energy like I'll uh, whatever it's a it boost. takes yeah it's a boost any boost the, the, of course like I you know I started getting asked to play shows and do all that stuff that was very difficult because it was too much and I would like have these huge crashes after playing shows and so you know it was like finding like okay so I can do more than I thought I could do but I cannot do I can't be like a touring musician or or do the things that all my other music friends can do but that's okay like I this I can do this and so I I recorded an album uh, in my home with a friend of mine I asked him to to, he, he'd only recorded one other album, but I really liked it. And I was just like, listen, I cannot go into a regular studio. That's 10 hours of doing something is like a 100% impossibility yeah. for me. Yeah. So can I hire you to just like come over in like one hour, maybe yes. two hour segments? Like it might take us a year or two years, yes. but like, can we try? And he was a good friend of mine. And he was like, whatever you want, Wolfie. He's <laughs> like, we'll make it happen. And, and we did. And like, it took a very long time. But I'm so grateful because now I've got this record that like, I just wouldn't have been able to ask for the help that I needed, like this type of help that I needed from a friend. You know, I paid him and everything, but it just was a very different type of working relationship that you normally have as an engineer. Yeah, now I've got this record. And it's actually part of how I support myself is through royalties from the music licensing and royalties and things like that. And so... It was just this like incredible, I, I'm always very wary of like the gift of illness. Yes, I understand. <laughs> you know, being, be, it's not, it's just when other people are like, aren't you glad? No. I'm sick. <laughs> right this way. And I'm like, no, <laughs> but that's not the same as saying, but there are some things that I am deeply grateful for. Would I maybe yes. trade them back for like, my the full bloom of health yes I would like that is in my case yes I would I would trade like you know 
you know, CRPS for, you know, recording a record. But, but that doesn't mean that like illness doesn't give you these, these incredible things sometimes. And it, it, it at least sends up these like blooms in the middle of like an otherwise like barren desert, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's good. I mean, it's beautiful. And I, I feel so grateful that, that those things have, I feel so grateful that those things have like presented themselves and that I followed them and what, and didn't just say, no, I'm, I'm too sick to do that because I, I was saying that to myself in the beginning. And if I had allowed myself to it, not even explore it, then I, this whole dimension of my Being. life and creativity and all, I mean, just so it's such a huge part of my life now that door would have remained closed. And so I just feel it's, I think about it a lot when new things come up because there's a lot of things that I'm right that, nope, I cannot do that. <laughs> but it, I'm always reminded to like, to at least try to kind of always push yeah. the edges a little bit and to try to bring in more soul nourishing things um, instead of just preemptively saying, no, I can't, <laughs> I'm, too yeah. sick. I'm too sick. I think for me, I always look at it, I want to be able to do this in a way that works for me and my body. And that's mm -hmm. what I really want to share with women is mm -hmm. that's your frame. It's not about this or getting it or doing it the way that everybody else does it. Mm -hmm. It's about is there a way that is unknown? Like no, nobody's done it this way. We yeah. don't know if you can do it this way. But I, for me it's like, the intuitive, the dream, the spark within your heart of what you want to do is there for a reason. It yes. is there, it's not just there to crush your soul. It's yes. there for a reason. Mm -hmm. And as you say, it might take two years to do this at an hour a time or an hour once a month, but mm -hmm. find that part of you, if it's whispering to you, trust it. Yes, I just, I cannot agree with that more. And, and to be willing to let it take the shape that, that it, it can take in your life. And that, and for me, so like after that period, after the record came out, that's actually when my health just like fell off. A cliff. <laughs> and so for the several years after that, I couldn't play music in front of people. I couldn't even sit up, but I still in like the worst times would like, remember I would try to lie there and write poetry in my mind, even though I couldn't do anything else. I couldn't watch TV, I couldn't do anything else. But if I could, if I could somehow like grab onto that to remember, to even remember <laughs> that, that was like available to me, it was, it would make that day be not a waste or not feel yeah. like a waste to me like otherwise it just felt like I was like being tortured alive to have had this like one thing that I held on to and like those songs are some of like those songs are in the the record that I'm working on now are were written in that horrible time and it just I, I just feel like connecting to yes like the to your soul and to your soul's whispers and to just the creative part of yourself, even if it's just whatever you're physically able to do. And I want to caveat that I, a lot of people, that feels really out of reach. Like they, they, they're they really, really, really sick. But to just try to stay in that frame of mind that 
to, okay, but what can I do? Even if it's that I'm not moving, but I'm writing poetry in my mind in this dark room, like whatever that is in your life, if you're able to still draw a little bit, you're a painter and you can't sit up and paint, but you're still able to sketch a little bit in your book. I, I, I think that that is usually worth it. And it brings this, this real sense of meaning into a time that can feel really meaningless often. And, and that's really worth like trying to find. I mean, it's so beautiful to hear this talk about the reality, the authentic reality of the experience. And for me, what that was is that I read mythology when Mm. I could read and I found the myth of Persephone, who's queen of the underworld, the absolute map and the psychological map for chronic illness. That's what I read about in my book. (laughs) Oh, amazing. Yes, Yes. there's a whole thing about the heroine's journey and Persephone's journey and that that's the journey of trauma and illness and the healer and that that, well we could talk about oh and I really want to be clear with our listeners you know I came across Sarah through Twitter I came across her through an amazing community that Brianne Benes runs Mm -hmm. called No End in Sight and she reached out and here we are and it's beautiful and authentically I've read Sarah's articles but I hadn't had the chance to read her book in the week and a half since we met online um But this is fantastic and it's so reassuring because what I want to share with women in this moment is, and Sarah, you, it's amazing that this is part of you and it's also embodied in you. Persephone is taken as a maiden and she goes to the underworld and she becomes a queen and she rises back up to the overworld with her sovereignty. And that is the map for illness and that Mm -hmm. is exactly what you have shared. (laughs) I can't believe that that's something that you're familiar with also. That was for me such a huge light bulb moment was like, oh, I am not on the hero's journey. <laughs> like if you think you're on the hero's journey, you're going to feel like a failure. <laughs> and yeah. this is different. This is a completely different archetype and way of uh, seeing yourself and seeing how, what the path is for you, what the... Uh, the the structure of the path is and and it's cyclical too just like you know she exactly this you know it's it's ongoing down into the underworld over and over and over again and rising up over and over and over, over again. again yes it's it, it, which is exactly the story of illness and trauma and i mean it's the the other story it's the dark twin of this like other heroic yeah. <laughs> uh, upper world story that's and like, it's an emotional story oh, it's yes. a de- it's this is the map of your emotional journey. There's a yes. physical journey, but this is the map of your emotional journey. Mm-hmm. And um, oh, I just really want to share with you. This is so exciting because that's what I found helpful. Yeah. And the work that I do with women, I run an eight month program for women with chronic illness called Queen of the Underworld. You do? I do. <laughs> I do. Yeah. So it's um it's something I've been really immersed in, and it's releasing this year. Um, It's part. It's part of why I really wanted to talk to women in this PJ interview series because Mm -hmm. this is the journey of it. This is so beautiful, and um, there is a psychological map, and you can be guided through that as well. Totally. 
Oh, this is um, what what serendipity. I mean, it's not even serendipity because it just is yes. what that's the story that you and I are both in. So it's not serendipity that we were both found, um, guided to it eventually because that is what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Look, thanks so much for talking with me and with us, Sarah. We'll put in the show notes all the links to Sarah's website where you can find both her book, which I know is just so deeply personal, and you can find links to her music. And um, we'll make sure that Sarah's connected with us throughout the whole journey of this uh, PJ's interviews process and that you are part of the world with us and we are part of the world with you. Thank you so much for your time, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much. This was such a joy doing this with you. So thank you for for having me. Talking with Sarah Ramy is one of my favourite things in the world to do, and I'm delighted that you are able to hear us discover each other and the way that we both use the Queen of the Underworld mythology. If you want to join this deep program that I run, you'll find all of the details at www.michelleirving.com.au. We start in September 2021.